Welcome to the Storyform Podcast, where we journey together at the intersection of faith and story. I'm your host, Will Chenault, Soul Care Pastor at Fellowship Bible Church in Jackson, Tennessee. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. Let's get this conversation started. Welcome to the Storyform Podcast. We are here in 2024, a new year, and we are continuing the podcast with incredible guests. But I have my weekly co-host here with me, uh, Tori Wilkerson. Tori, how was Christmas? It was fabulous. Fabulous. It was really, really good. It was very relaxed and low-key, and it was good. How was yours? It was good. You know, we talked about on the Christmas podcast, you actually you actually helped me. You gave me some gift ideas that I implemented. Mm, so that was the good. So they the, went over well? Yeah, it was a good win. Good deal. Yeah. No no appliances, dusters? No dusters this year. Good job, no, Will. No, no. Uh, I thought about some appliances, but then I thought, you know. I got a food processor. <laughs> oh, okay. But it's what I asked for. Yeah. Wow. Super excited. Yeah. We had a good Christmas too, but it's now January and we are in the midst of winter beginning uh, in the long stretch of winter. But we have something really exciting coming up here in just a few weeks as we get started back for the new year on January the 26th and 27th. Uh, we are doing a larger story conference. Uh, we've talked about it here at Fellowship. Um, but we are um, going to be having and hosting the Larger Story Ministry. Uh, just a little bit about the ministry. It is the legacy ministry of Dr. Larry Crabb. Uh, Dr. Crabb passed away a few years ago, but um, there are those who trained under Larry, who uh, were influenced in his in his thought and his life, who are in, in large part continuing his legacy through publishing, uh, through conference, through speaking. And so we are bringing in uh, the Larger Story Conference, and the theme of the conference is going to be cross-generational discipleship. And I have uh, on the line, on the phone from uh, Ohio, he's still a little jaded that his team, the Buckeyes, didn't play for the national championship. Mm. But uh, my good friend, Kent Dillinger, is on the line. Kent, thanks for coming on the podcast. Well, good to be with you. Um, and back at you, man. Bama went down, so I was kind of hey, hey, glad man. for that, man. Although I was rooting for them this year, Will. <laughs> that was a rough. That was, that was a rough loss, Ken. That was a rough loss. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was that was uh, that was difficult. What uh, were you good with Michigan winning? Um, yeah, I'm fine. You know, yeah. I, my real question here is: Does Tori even care about any of this? No, Tori cares. Know. Yes. It, the weary world rejoiced when Bama lost and it killed my soul. Yes. It, it's not oh, even the loss. Okay. It's the joy people find in others right. losing. It hurts. Tori's a big yeah. Bama fan. Her fam, they Ooh. actually went to the SEC championship we game. Did. So they, that was they, they do that every year. So they were wow. went and watched Bama beat Georgia, mm-hmm. an incredible game. And um, so, so, so you have some support, man. I mean, I in your love of Bama. There. I really do. So, yeah. I really do. But hey, yeah. next uh-huh. year, the dynasty's coming back. All right. Yeah. All right. But we're not here to talk about football. This is not a sports podcast. Uh, <laughs> we are not. <laughs> Although we could probably talk about it a long time. We could. We could. <laughs> we are going to talk, Kent. Uh, you are coming here in just a few weeks, and um, you're going to be joined uh, by some other people that are part of the Larger Story Ministry. So let's just begin uh, with with just kind of a general working definition. If someone were to say, Kent, what is cross-generational discipleship how would you answer that 
Oh, wow. Um, I would say, uh, you know, it's, it's having people of different ages connecting in meaningful ways. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think we live in such a segregated culture and even in the church, um, those who are older are relegated off this direction and those who are younger off this direction. And there's not much crisscross there. And I don't think we're better off because of it. So I would say the opportunity for older people and younger people to mix in a way that um, something mysterious could happen that could strengthen um, faith for, for both parties, really. Yeah, yeah. And as you said, it's kind of a, a rare thing that, um, I mean, we think about even the way that churches are structured. You have your kind of age-segmented um ministries that that really don't allow for a lot of that uh, cross-generational discipleship connecting multiple generation uh, together and um, and so you guys are going to come in and and talk about this um, and and teach on you know just the why this is important and so we're excited to have you guys here and and talking about that Tori when you think about that cross-generational discipleship, what comes to mind for you? You know, that exact same thing, exactly like Kent said. And I remember the first time I really got to experience that because as a young woman, maybe being a part of a mom's group at church and the studies revolving around that. And so we all stayed together. Um, and then when our studies, we women's ministry began to to do that and kind of embody that idea of we could all learn from each other. And I went into that thinking, oh, this is an wonderful opportunity for for me to learn from women who are ahead of me, who are a little further down the road. Well, I started hearing older women saying, oh my gosh, I'm learning so much from the younger women in this group. And I thought, huh, what do I have to offer? And just having somebody call that out in you, like um, learning goes both directions. And so it was just a really interesting opportunity, not just desire to learn from somebody who is ahead of me, but to realize that I had something to offer to somebody who is ahead of me and somebody who's behind mm-hmm. me too. Mm-hmm. So, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This is really personal for me, Will. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I was just going to ask you that. Talk about that. Yeah, well, I look back across the landscape of my life and I realize that God really used significantly three or four other people um, who, when I think about what they did, uh, it it ranges from just sheer enjoyment of somebody who didn't see himself as enjoyable um, to being um, called forth. Um, And, and, and I'm, and as I also look back, I realize that's, that's really what I've done. What was done for me is what I've tried to do for others. And even today, you know, I, I changed employment just in the last six months, but I continue to meet with four young men from uh, the place where I worked, uh, three over breakfast every two weeks and then uh, another guy. And it brings me such joy to, to have a small role in seeing these young men um, move more deeply into their faith. And they bring an energy and a life and a hunger that, um, as Tori was saying, it's a, it's a mutual thing. Um, but I looked at him the other day because I was telling him I was going to do this conference. And I said, you need what I have mm. and I need who you are. Yeah. And, and I believe that so deeply. And I really think it's a missing 
joy in the church. Um, And that's why we want to talk about it. Can't talk about that first thing that you said. As you look back in the three or four key relationships, the first thing you said was, I was enjoyed when I didn't think I was very enjoyable. Flesh that out for me a little bit. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the first individual was a, um, probably, I didn't realize I was 13. He was a teacher and a coach, baseball, summer baseball. And um, Monty, um, he just took a liking to me and he took me to an arcade. He spent time with me. Um, he's the guy I went to in high school. You know, he was an eighth grade teacher, Ohio history teacher. And, um, but when I was struggling in high school, unsure about dating, unsure about trying to live my faith out in a public school um, and not feeling like I was doing a very good job, he's the guy I went to. But what I primarily felt from him was I felt liked. And I felt invited into his life. And that mattered to me so much that uh, a poor guy, I invited him to be part of my wedding when everybody else was college age. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he came with his wife and stuff. And I think it was probably really awkward for him, but he meant that much to me. And, and I still, I still have contact with him. He's um, probably in his mid seventies now. And, Mm -hmm. but just a a wonderful guy. And the same thing, you know, it was just some other, people who I felt like, um, you know, we all have question marks in our souls about ourselves. And sometimes it takes a few other people who see something in us that we can't see. And, um, you know, my mentor and dear friend, the late Larry Crabb that you mentioned earlier, um, he, he, when I was 23 years old, he sat across from me, I can still picture it today. And he, he looked at me and said, wow, you really do want to know the Lord, don't you? And I think that's the first time anybody ever saw something in me like that. I literally remember almost like turning around thinking, are you talking to somebody else? (laughs) Even though I knew we were the only two people in the room. Um, And so those kind of things to be enjoyed and um, to actually be seen as having something Mm -hmm. to offer um, are just paramount to what we want to be about. Because that really is, isn't that the goal of discipleship, to have people speak truth, to call out in you the good, of course, sometimes it's the bad, but in the Uh process of being discipled to be liked, isn't that such a sweet gift? Like, I just think, I wouldn't have even thought, thought of it that way until you said it, but to think that I could, you know, just be spending time with somebody younger than me and to find that they like me, Mm -hmm. that's a real Mm -hmm. gift. Absolutely. Well, yeah. I mean, what does God really offer us? He offers us with you know, Emmanuel, God mm. with you. And every time he called somebody in scripture to do something, they were terrified. And what does he say to them Re- repeatedly over and over? I am with you. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, I need some definition. What does it really mean to be with somebody? Because you're right, Tori. I think it's not only being liked, but it's having somebody speak the truth sometimes yes. to you, too. Right. But, but, you know, they believe in you. Right. Right. You know, and that's just a huge. Well, and if you've established this, I like you, you like me, we are for each other. The truth becomes bearable. Mm-hmm. Oh, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, just a little side note here is this, if you read through First and Second Timothy, and if you just pay attention to words that we want to skip over, but imagine that this 20 year old or however Paul old Timothy was, imagine when he read, My son. Yeah. <laughs> um, man of God, Paul says that to Timothy at one point, you know, 
um, phrases like that, I, I think it's just easy to read right past those and not realize, oh my golly, what would that have done <laughs> in the soul of a 23-year-old man uh, learning how to pastor? <laughs> for example. So. Well, I think you just told a story of how, how that did happen in your life with Larry Crabb <laughs> at 23 years mm-hmm. old. I mean, yeah. it helps me call that out in you. Such mm-hmm. a gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ken, really as is. you look back in your relationship with Larry, how, how did he enjoy you? Um, <laughs> we watched a lot of this. Uh, I mean, we lived with them for a while. I mean, you tell that story. It's, you know, we, I, I always wanted to do a live-in discipleship with somebody <laughs> older and I mentioned that to him one time, hardly knew him or didn't know him super well. And I wasn't really asking him at all. He told the story for years at schools and stuff as if we kind of <laughs> um, did. I would have had, never had the courage to do that. I just, it just came up in a conversation. And so one Sunday he came up after church and said, Hey, let's go to lunch. And um, I want to talk about that idea you had. And so we ended up living with him and all that to say, man, we watched, we watched the Chicago Bulls together in their heyday. We he would constantly say, "Hey, let's let's go to breakfast." You know, um, he he wrote me letters. I have a I have a folder full of letters that he wrote to me. In fact, one um, oh God, I feel a little teary here. Ten days before he died, um, and I asked him the question, "What did you ever see in me?" <laughs> and he tried to respond to that as best he could, given his body was racked with cancer, and um, so. You know, he took me on trips when I was young um, and just let me hang hang around. <laughs> um, so a lot of this uh, enjoyment and, and just you just sense that, too. Somebody doesn't have to tell you that. But you just sense that they like your presence. Um, and I continue. I think I think sadly I didn't love him well at times because I kept questioning that <laughs> for 25 years. You really you really like me around, <laughs> you know. Um, I didn't say that, but I I, I live that way sometimes. Yeah. What does it cost to disciple somebody to hear what Larry gave to you and then what you are giving to the other people in your life? What does it cost you to disciple someone well? Um, man, that's a great question. Well, you you you've talked about this a little bit. Well, I'm going to ask you. I'm going to put it back on you and ask you. What do you think the cost is? That'll give me a moment to think. Yeah, I tell you. I, th- I I mean, it obviously it costs a lot of time because mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. do it well, it's going to cost time. I think it, the good cost is it makes you walk closely with the Lord. So you're going to be investing in that relationship. So there's even more time. Um, I think it costs um, me figuring out who I am so that I can help somebody else figure out who they are. <laughs> because I want to make sure that what I am offering to somebody is from Christ and not from me. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. it costs a lot of soul searching. Mm-hmm. It's good. It's good. It is good. And I. it's funny because when you ask the question, and this isn't to minimize any of what you said, my mind just went to, I, I don't even think about cost. I think about um, the joy that I experience. Every uh-huh. Friday when I come home from breakfast with these three young men, Carlo wife uh, will ask me about it. And I just feel like I light up. One of them, it, one or two of them will say something that I think, oh my golly, how did you get that? <laughs> you know, uh-huh. where are you at? Or you're being honest. You know, this is last Friday. I had breakfast with these guys and I asked them, what do you, what do you really hope for in this next year that you'd love to see God do in your life? Mm-hmm. Something you don't like maybe about yourself. And man, all three of them in this case, but uh, and a couple of them, you just kind of go, you were recognizing that at your age. That just blew me away. And I, 
So to be participating in something that God's Spirit is doing, partly through me, but far beyond me, uh, is just great joy. And so I don't, I don't, my mind didn't go to cost, although I agree with you. I think there is a cost, um, but it's a good cost. Yeah. I just think <laughs> sometimes, a lot of times in my circles of women and busy young moms, you know, we talk about wanting to do this and, and saying, where does it fit? How do we make it fit? How do we do that and still be home for dinner? How do we meet twice a month and not sacrifice, you know, things or have our family sacrifice? And so mm-hmm. um, probably just a different season of life and, um, you know, just trying to balance and figure it all out. I also think yeah. it, I also think it really revolves a lot around the fact that in our culture, we are, we are so busy and we are, um, you know, that fast food nation in a sense of, mm-hmm. uh, we want everything microwaved and, and yet this kind of discipleship is a slow over time continuing to be with someone. And, and yet Kent, as you were talking about having letters written to you, I think in the heart of every person, there is such a strong desire to be seen, known, and loved in that capacity. And yet, mm-hmm. um, it is so rare. It is so rare. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And that's, that's why we're doing this because it feels like uh, sad. And I, again, I can't emphasize how I think people are missing out on this wonderful opportunities. Yeah. I, I, you know, back to that question of cost even, but, um, this, Inviting people or timing, how much time do we have, whatever, inviting them into what we do, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, I, I've got a friend who's got season tickets to Indiana basketball and that's about an hour and a half or two hour drive for me. And he oftentimes says, Hey, you've got, you know, I got two tickets if you want to come. And so my first thought is, well, I asked one of these guys, you know, I want them. That's, that's two and a half hours. And that's five hours total in the car, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so I'm going to, I'm probably going to go cause I like the Buckeyes and I want to watch them hopefully beat Indiana. Right, um, right. uh, but I, man, what a great opportunity to take somebody along just in a thing that I enjoy. And so there's, there's a lot of opportunity and you know, I, maybe this is harder for women, Tori, you could speak to that with, you know, if you have kids at home and things like that for guys, if I'm going to work, I can, I can go to work an hour and a half earlier and have breakfast with somebody, um, and do that. Um, pretty easily, you know. Um, but you know, being in it with my wife sometimes, it's you know, having having them over or going out to supper. You know, mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. The, these young young people that we've been involved with, we we met at a restaurant not long ago, and just you know, it took a while to get that plan in place. But uh, there's there's a lot of ways to do it, and if and if you really are enjoying it, um, if you really see the eternal value and you know, once in a while you you just get ecstatic by what God's doing. Um, it's not hard to make it make it happen, find time. <laughs> Do you find so, it always enjoyable? Uh, I find it a lot of times um, ordinary mm-hmm. um, and wishing for more, but not necessarily disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you feel disappointment, I suppose. Um, I just but, think sometimes we all get wrapped up in this idea that the work God has called us to is supposed to be bigger than it is or something different than it is. And just like you said, inviting somebody into the ordinary and acknowledging mm-hmm. that this work God has called us to do, discipling people, is the ordinary work of life. Yeah, yeah. It's not big and grand always. Sometimes you have those big moments, I'm, you know, mm-hmm. of course, but 
it really is just calling people into the every or ordinary everyday ordinary parts of your life because mm-hmm. that's where yeah. that's where we're growing and living yeah. yeah and part of the i think part of the awkwardness is shifting conversation you know we these three guys we can we're all sports guys we could sit and talk about sports the whole breakfast mm-hmm. so to have the intentionality at times to kind of say all right i'm, I'm coming with a thought you know um and I'm, I'm sometimes, I, I'm just asking God, what do you want for this time? And, oh, okay, something popped in my mind that I've been thinking about. So, you know, a big thing we're going to talk about at the conference is authenticity, too. It's just like, I want to share my life with them. Not so that they go, oh, aren't you something for sharing all that? Um, because I want them to know that it's okay to struggle. Yeah. Um, it's okay to have fears. It's okay to, to feel dry with God, all those kind of things. And and when I can talk about some of that stuff, you know, um, and just be authentic about them, um, I share for a greater purpose than just to promote myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because some of the stories I share aren't very promoting. Um, they're also reflections of how I haven't loved very well, whether it's my grandkids, kids, or my wife, you know. Um, but right. being willing to, to put voice to what's going on in our interior world, that's probably one of the things I think is most missing is that even as we do get together, it's easy to, to to pray together or look at the scriptures and read something, but not really bring our lives to each other mm-hmm. um, into which truth and prayer can actually have power. Yeah. Uh, and that feels like a really important um, idea that we want to talk about. Yeah. That's so important of just bringing who I am into the relationship, into the conversation, the authenticity, the vulnerability, the creating a space for that. And I, I am so grateful that, you know, I, I do think even though we are a large church, I think there's a strong value of seeing that take place uh, in in our ministries. Um, the, you know, thinking through women's ministry, men's ministry, um, you know, the life on life experience, trying to see those environments captured in our uh, our youth ministry. And, um, you know, I, I, that's the, that's the part that as a church, just continuing to, to grow in that vision, uh, also, um, and Ken, you, you can speak to this of, we don't want to overcomplicate it so often. I think when we think about discipleship and we think about discipleship strategies and, you know, they're, they're, loads of books that are written about how we do that. And I'm not diminishing that, but sometimes it feels like we overcomplicate this thing. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on that? Well, I, th- I think you're right. And I think that's partly because we just don't know how to relate well. Oh, yeah. um, we don't know how to bring our lives to each other for fear that, you know, I'm going to look stupid or I'm going to be ashamed of something I've done or said um, all of that, and or we we we've, we've kind of grown up in cultures where we feel like maturity is having your act together, <laughs> and so if I share anything that's inconsistent with that, then I'm going to be viewed a certain way by even young people, and that that's just so um, antithetical to 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 the gospel as we rightly understand it. And I just think Paul Paul said in Thessalonians one, he, he, he says to the people, and I, I share with you not only the gospel, but my very life. Right. I think what we're talking about at this conference is what Paul lived out and who Jesus was. You know, Larry Cobb years ago said, um, final truth is not propositional. It's passionate. Mm-hmm. 
and by passionate, it means it's, it's personal. It's a person. And you think about the, the truth, the vehicle for the, for the gospel more often than not is supposed to be our lives because that's who we are. That's who God is. God is a God of relationship. That is fundamentally who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he made us in that image. And we are most deeply impacted um, by people, um, good and bad, of course. But uh, it, so it's a relational dynamic. I, I Obviously, God uses propositions and truths, and sometimes those do the work. But it's really meant to be lived out. Adam wasn't complete until Eve was formed, even though there was no sin yet. Mm-hmm. Um, something was missing. And that's why we're calling it not myself by myself, because we are really shaped. We discover who we are and we discover who God is. And we discover more about this journey of faith as we live in proximity of heart mm-hmm. to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see things about ourselves, not because somebody confronted us sometimes, but because we see somebody else living in a way we're not or whatever it might be, but it's meant to be relational. And, and that's why this is so important. And it's part of the tagline, I think too, like an invitation What's the other eye there? An invitation and something else to relational mm-hmm. discipleship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Kent, it is it is that idea of truth embodied in a relationship. I mean, we don't want to mm-hmm. just it's 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 you saying, "Hey, we can talk about Indiana basketball all breakfast long," and and yet there's a there's a place for that and enjoying each other and enjoying conversation. But if that's all we do, it's not really yeah. moving us and shaping us and conforming us into the image of Christ. And yeah. yet it is embodied. The vehicle of that is a relationship. I don't think any of us could look back and think, yes, there are some people that 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 said, um, you know, I me and I'm alone with the scripture and through my quiet time, the Lord met me. We don't want to diminish that. Or I read a, a spiritual book that had a profound impact. All of us could say that. But I think for every one of us, as we look back and say, what has made the most impact in our life? It's been a person. It's been relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, who, well, and even, even when, yeah, I was going to say, even when we read a book and grab hold of truths, they have to be lived out in our relationships or yeah. they don't mean much. Right. You know, that's exactly right. And I think yeah. that's where the evangelical church has been a little wrong headed in that, that sense of putting the premium on the truth. And we don't want to diminish that, but it has to be fleshed out in the relational realm. Uh, you know, the, the, the call of the new Testament, you think of the commands of the new Testament, uh, almost all of them are relational, the fruit of the spirit. They are, embodied in relationality yeah yeah well, and, and you're using a, you're, i'm just gonna say you're using an incredibly important word and that's embodiment mm-hmm. you know it's like I, i'm gonna point to two illustrations that in the old testament when when moses is told by god to lead the people and moses is like well then who who are you going to send with me he's aware of the daunting nature of this task mm-hmm. and he asks god who are you going to send with me or at least teach me your ways and then god says well, I'll relent from my anger over your stiff neckness and I'll go with you. And then he defines himself in concepts that we sing and worship over, but they're embodied. What God is saying is as you walk the desert floor and all that's going to take place, what you most need is me because who I am is compassion and acceptance and forgiveness. And then we get to the New Testament. It's the same thing. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word, as Peterson says in John one fourteen the the word moved into the neighborhood 
mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the word became a person who who came into our world to show us who God is. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's why embodiment is so important. I'm showing four young men, mm-hmm. hopefully, um, who God is yeah. by how I relate yeah. to them and how we talk yeah. about truth and, and all of that kind of stuff. So embodiment is just critical and primary to the, it's the vehicle for the gospel, really. Right. And we don't want to minimize. I think we also live in a reality in a culture where we give premium on the big. We give premium on the large. We give premium on the, you know, the, the, the spectacular. And yet for people uh, month after month, year after year. Oh, my goodness. The profound impact of that. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I'm going to, you know, this is a hot sports opinion here, but I, I just don't think the big rallies of getting a bunch of people in a room, I don't, I just don't know how effective that is. Yeah. This makes me think well of our friend, Jen, who heads up a, a wonderful ministry um, with uh, teen moms where she is providing physical and spiritual needs for them. And she says all the time, if it were not for my circle, I could not do this ministry. You make me brave. Mm-hmm. You make me capable mm-hmm. by meeting, helping her meet physical needs. But I just think about that's really, you know, what we're saying is the work of the Lord is being done in this small group of people, and it is reaching far into our city mm-hmm. to people who need it. And that it's just incredible mm-hmm. what you can do when you are just focused on your core, yeah. your core group. And I think it also, uh, Kent, and you speak to this, it also creates a sense in which somebody can say, I can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I can meet with somebody uh, over coffee and, and talk about, hear the things, present my life in an authentic way that I don't have yeah. it all together, that I'm not perfect. And I can ask them, how do we do this together? We can journey together as fellow pilgrims, not be an expert who I'm instructing with a student. Most people right. can do that. Right. Yeah, and that's that's part of what we're hoping to capture here is, you know, the, the 65, 70-year-old who doesn't feel like they have anything to offer and they've mm-hmm. been kind of set, pushed aside. It's just like, wait a minute, you, you really could, um, unbeknownst, not because of a program, just ask God to bring somebody across your path or maybe somebody you already have some familiarity with and kind of say, hey, I would love to get to know you better and go to breakfast and man, who doesn't like to be asked questions? Mm-hmm. I mean, right. just be, be, be curious about their life. Offer yours as it feels important. <laughs> this isn't a time to wax elegant on our own wisdom. Right. There are, there are moments when God gives us what I like to call a moment of wisdom mm-hmm. um, to speak into something. But for the most part, um, or again, we're trying to enjoy, we're trying to be truly genuinely curious about the other person and what's going on. And, and it, it just takes a lot of time for safety to build up. And, um, you know, those meaningful moments feel like they come along once every five, eight, ten breakfasts, you know, or whatever time you're spending. Um, but, um, boy, you can look back five years later and think, wow, I think, I think mm-hmm. not only did I find a joy, but it seems like maybe God used me in that person's life. And, and I, what did you, what did Paul say? You are my joy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you are my crown. <laughs> right. That's right. That's you right. know, 
That's not right. not some structure I built or right. program I started, right. and and those those aren't wrong. Right. Um, but if that's all we're doing, then then we're really missing out on something. You know? Kent, I love in Second Corinthians where Paul is being questioned over his apostleship. You know, the super apostles uh, that are um, eloquent in their speech and powerful in their presence are questioning this uh, apostle who's not really impressive in his speech and certainly not physically impressive. And calling for the letters of recommendation, prove yourself, prove your ministry. You know, the Corinthians have kind of turned in a sense on Paul. And what does he say? You're my letters. You're my letters of recommendation. <laughs> You're the only That's proof of God. Yeah, yeah, you know, you, yeah. you uh, my relationship to you is proof of my apostleship. You know, yeah. my suffering also Ooh. is proof of my apostleship, but also just that part of you know, you are the letter of recommendation. And, and I think that's just such a powerful, you know, we, we just, we talk a lot here at fellowship about compelling relationships. And we, you know, my, my fear is that that just kind of becomes a buzzword that we talk about that really, it sounds good. Everybody goes, yes, relationships. Um, but then actually, okay, what does that look like in fleshed out in kind of the nooks and crannies of life? And I do think just that part of I'm enjoying, I'm showing up, uh, I am enjoying you, you are enjoying me, I'm presenting myself, my life, my authenticity, uh, I'm giving my life to you, I'm engaging in your life. But then that second part you talked about at times, there are confrontation, you know, and, and, and out of love. Can you speak of, you know, you, you talked about the profound impact that Larry had on your life. Can you think of a time that, that Larry spoke a truth to you that was like, wow, okay, I needed to hear that, but that was hard, and what that process was like, and what was the outcome? Um, well, I, can, I think of a couple. One of them is not Larry. I, when I was in college, I had a basketball coach who was really there only to kind of help mentor guys. He wasn't necessarily a basketball mind. And I remember um, – I don't remember what year it was, maybe after my freshman year in college, he called me into his office after the season was over <laughs> and he had spent a lot of time doing what we've already talked about, enjoying me and laughing with me and talking meaningfully at times. But he, he got down to the nitty gritty one day and he called me in his office and he said, Kent, I've noticed this pattern in your life. And if it continues, it's going to get in the way of how God wants to use you. <laughs> and, and I walked out of there mad <laughs> And yet I'm still talking about that at 62. You know, that <laughs> happened when I was 18 and he was right. And I knew he was right. I didn't want to admit it at the time because I, I made a, <laughs> my, my vow was that everybody was going to like me. And I'm a really, I was a really good guy, you know, a good Christian guy. And, and here he was seeing something in me. It wasn't very likable and it wasn't very good. And he was calling it out. So I think of that. And then, you know, with Larry, a lot of times our conversations were just so natural that he could say something to me. One, one big one, one time was, um, I was really all uh, trying to figure out how to handle some situations when I worked for him at a school one time and, um, and just feeling like I was doing a lousy job and he just, uh, you know, it's not a incredibly confrontive sentence, but he looked at me and goes, you know what, Ken, you know what the difference is between you and me? And I'm like, okay, here we go. You know, and he goes, it's not that I'm so much more gifted to you or that I'm so much brighter than you. He goes, it's that I'm much more comfortable in the mess than you are. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you that pierced me. Mm -hmm. 
And I, again, I have never forgotten that sentence either. Mm-hmm. It's just like, if you're going to, you're going to be with people and that fits to what we're talking about here, then you're going to have to get comfortable with the mess. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. The mess of your life, the mess of their lives. And right. the, this isn't about fixing people. Right. Um, yeah. Let's speak um, to that for just a few minutes. Let's speak to that for just, a, cause I think sometimes in my experience, people will come to a conference like this and they'll say, I've been inspired man, I'm going to start connecting with people. I'm going to open my life. I'm going to open my home. I'm going to be intentional. And then it gets messy. Mm-hmm. And then they say, oh, this is harder than I thought. And, <laughs> and they may pull away or they may say it's not worth it or they may, um, you know, refer to a counselor or what, you know, it's just that idea of, you know, when it does get messy, I think there's a natural human tendency to say, um, this is not what I signed up for. Can you speak to that? Well, yeah, I think, I think you've hit the nail on the head. One of the things that keeps us really distant from each other is because we don't, we don't know what to do. We do not know what to do. Uh, somebody brings their mess. I stood up many Sundays, you know, I pastored a church for 30 years and I, I, at least three times I can remember over the years. And I said to people, I said, listen, I said, when somebody comes to you, an ordinary person with, with their mess of their lives, don't, don't say, I got to get you, I got to get you to the pastor or to the elders. Because frankly, I feel the same thing you do when somebody walks into my office, I don't know what to do. And if there isn't a spirit of God, then we're wasting our time here, but there is, and he's the only expert when it comes to matters of the soul, mm-hmm. I don't care what degrees you have. I've got two degrees and 30 years of experience. And I still feel like sometimes when somebody calls me like, Oh my God, what do I do here? How do I help? And if I don't relax and lean into the Holy spirit and say, okay, wait a minute, your spirit's in me. And hopefully you're in the person that I'm talking to and you're already at work here. Yeah. And so can I relax and lean into and trust that you're going to do something? You're going to give me, Maybe a question to ask, or maybe a moment of wisdom, or you're going to tell me to shut up <laughs> and just listen, mm. you know. Um, but can I try to listen and get past myself? I, Carla and I, we often tell people when we're listening to somebody, we're repenting constantly because all the time creeping in our mind, oh, I need to say something. This person's paying me. I need to say something profound. Oh, I really need to help this person, or I don't know what to do. That's all about me. Yeah. What does it mean to kind of pay attention to what God's doing mm. in the other person? And if that means I have to say at some point, well, I'm not sure what to say, but I sure like being here with you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a pretty powerful sentence. I think that's but- a great reminder that in, in our relationships, we're just really a conduit for Christ. Mm-hmm. Like it takes yeah. the expectation off of us. Like, what am I, what am I supposed to do here? How do I fix this? How do I say something that makes them feel better? Mm-hmm. Um, just that reminder to us that we are just a conduit for Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And Tori, you, you bring up a good point because I literally often say to myself, nothing has to happen here. Right. I have to say that for my benefit. I say it internally. I don't say it out loud, but I say to myself, nothing has to happen here. It takes the pressure off of me. It's mm-hmm. not my work. It's God's work. Right. And I just want to be part of what God is doing. And so it gets hard and it gets messy. And I think this is one of the reasons why we so quickly want to run to scripture and prayer, which are not bad things. I think we just do it prematurely sometimes. Right. That's and right. Because, because we don't know what to do. Yeah. So we throw a verse, but it has no power because we're not really speaking into what the deeper issue in the soul is. And if I give it some time and ask questions and really listen, 
perhaps Spirit of God takes a person down a little deeper into what might really be going on in the soul that then truth can speak to. Right. But in our uncomfortability, we kind of so quickly, um, and, and, we're, and we're foolish in believing that there are experts. And, mm-hmm. and that's why we send people to psychologists, and I'm not opposed to that and stuff. Um, but I think the church is supposed to be doing a better job than we're doing. We're priests yeah. to one another. Yeah. You know, and, and we have the greatest gift that God could give us, which is his Holy Spirit, who knows every human soul right. and knows what's transpiring in every human soul. Right. And, it, and if we can try to figure out what does it mean to learn to listen for the Spirit in this person uh, as I'm sitting here over breakfast, mm-hmm. and we're going to be clumsy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, again, if you're if you're like me and you like everything to happen and be organized, and um, you, you, <laughs> you're going to have to die to some certain things. Yeah. Um, um, but it's it's worth it. Yeah. It's just so worth it. I love that statement of just you've got to be comfortable with the mess and realize that God is working in and through that. And and I think that's um, definitely something that we want to see embodied in the body of Christ. And that's why we're doing this conference. That's why we're bringing you guys in. And I am super, super excited about this and hope that people will listen to this podcast and in some way be, and this is kind of a dip your toe in the water of the beginning of the conversation, but maybe this will whet the appetite uh, to be able to uh, come uh, on the 26th and the 27th to hear more about this and, um, and to be inspired to, to do this well. And, I'm like you, Kent. I know in my own life, um, I am so grateful that God sent people uh, from the time I was 16 years old. God sent spiritual fathers, older brothers, um, people who have walked uh, with me in life, uh, some for seasons that walked in and walked out that God used. I'm still connected to them, but God used them for a season in my life. Um, I think it can about our relationship. Um, you and I have talked every month for now 11 years, 11 years. Oh my God. And, uh, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been a joy. You're, you're practicing the things that you have received in my life and others lives. Um, you know, times that I've come to, Cincinnati and just spent four days with you and we ate good food and we played golf and we watched football and we uh, watch movies and and you know there was no pressure you know there were times of like hey I'm falling asleep uh, I don't want to talk anymore you know and and yet there was also meaningful t- times of uh, talking and asking questions and engaging with my life and, and you opening your life to me. And I think that, uh, God has used that mightily, uh, in my own life. And I'm a, well, no, I, I'm no a recipient of that. Than, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No better example than what you're saying there. Well, I'm really, yeah. I'm really glad. And yeah. again, it's been a two way street, the joy that I've known. You've listened to me yep. ramble on about certain things too, mm-hmm. you know? So, yep. um, yep. yeah, you know, I, I just wanted one last little story. I, sure. I, when I was, um, I think I was 25. I was, I was counseling part-time at a church um, in South Bend, Indiana, um, just coming up there because the pastor needed some help. And I remember sitting across from a woman. I've told this story many times, and it's one of my favorites. But I sat across from a woman who I'd met with for a year, and she came in, and she told me that she needed to end, that her husband had gotten transferred. They were moving. And I said, well, come back 
one more time and let's kind of wrap up, you know? And, and so she came back and I, I, you know, I was truthfully, I was looking for a pat on the back. I said to her, I'll call her Cindy. I said, Cindy, tell me what's been really helpful. And I was really hoping that she would say, boy, one time you said this and it just really changed my life. And she obviously, she didn't say that, but what she did say is she, I'll never forget this. I can picture this. She sat up in her chair and she looked at me and she goes, you're the first man who's ever sat across from me, looked me in the eyes and listened to me. Mm -hmm. And I remember being disappointed, (laughs) (laughs) but driving home later that night, I replayed that conversation and it's like the spirit of God hit me upside the head. Like that's exactly it. Mm -hmm. You know, people want to be heard. Mm -hmm. They want to be seen. Mm -hmm. They want to be valued. And our listening offers that and it creates a safety so that a person can talk about what's wrong in their souls. We don't fix people. And frankly, God doesn't fix us most of the time, but he does hear us. Mm -hmm. He does hear us. The Bible is repeatedly telling us that God hears us Mm -hmm. and he's moving and doing some work behind the scenes and change is really slow and God is really patient. And can we hang in there with each other and offer the same kind of patience and acceptance um, and witness that God offers to us? Well, I am super excited to dive into this topic and know that it's just going to, uh, my prayer is that it just will create a ripple effect uh, here within our our body and that um, that God will use it and the spirit will take it and and energize it and empower it and and really excited about that. Tori, you got a final word? Do you think that for everybody listening, if we were all to just say, if we could measure our effectiveness in the kingdom by the relationships we currently have in our life, mm-hmm. do you think that's a good place for us to start? Sounds like a good place for me. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Kent, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean that probably needs some definition, but it's not a bad, not a bad place to start. You mm-hmm. know, just um, who am I? You know, one of the questions I'll ask you is: Paul described his ministry as, as as a mother and a father, and I, I don't want to ask it out of guilt. I want to ask it out of an invitation toward joy. Who are you mm-hmm. parenting? Yeah. Who are you parenting? You know, and Paul says another time. You know, I'm in the pains of childbirth, and he knew nothing about <laughs> delivery. Um, but he said, I'm in the pains of childbirth, Galatians 4, 19, until Christ is formed in you. And I think, who am I laboring for? Mm-hmm. Who am I laboring for in ways that they never know? And I'll never get much credit. Right. Right. <laughs> now, your kids don't say, hey, thank you for birthing me, mom. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I, mean, I ask them to we? thank me for that sometimes. <laughs> well, you but. should. <laughs> <laughs> um, but maybe, maybe when they're 40? Yes, 30, maybe. Maybe. Road, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but... Like, I just says I'm Paul sitting here. It. That was the thought I was having mm-hmm. was if I like Paul were to mm-hmm. look out at yep. the people that I am living my life with mm-hmm. and around and yep. to say, okay, are they, yep. are they the reflection of Christ yep. in me? Right. Right. Are yeah. these relationships, yep. Yep. you know, I think it's a great starting point. I think it's a great way to be able to think relationally and to begin to think that, that, that is discipleship is at its core, a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and so it's not a, it's not a classroom, you know, it's, right. it's not a lecture mm-hmm. and we don't want to minimize that because God uses those things, but it has to be embodied and fleshed out in the personal 
lives of others. And, um, and so I think that is, that is crucial and that's important. And, and we and wanna, I'd, I'd want mothers, I'd want mothers to know, well, that they're doing that with their kids. They may not have the time to do that with somebody outside, but what they're doing with their children is exactly what we're talking about. At mm-hmm. least if they have that perspective, right. that that matters. Your ministry is right there yeah. <laughs> and it works itself out from there. So That's there's right. a season of life where that might be all the energy you have that's is right. that one that's or two right. or three kids in your home. And that's, that's beautiful. And God mm-hmm. loves that. That's right. Um, that's right. Which that's I think right. is a great reminder. I know we've got to wrap it up, but I just keep, can just keep saying things that uh, are wonderful. And just like you saying that you meet with these four guys regularly and, and there are people out there who are like, I can't do that. And if, if my kids are my ministry, right. you may have, one person. Mm-hmm. It might be your spouse. It might be mm-hmm. one friend. It might be one young person, one old, what, whoever. It just doesn't have to look the right. same for everybody. Yeah. And I think, mm-hmm. I think Kent, right. Kent used an important word. It's an invitation. Mm-hmm. It's an invitation to joy. It's an invitation that this path actually leads to incredible richness within life, that it's not a burdensome. That's the tragedy within uh, the modern church is that it becomes a a burdensome. Uh, now there is a part of the commitment, the cost. Uh, I don't feel like getting up and going to my home group. Right. Um, you know, it's inconvenient, uh, and yet it's so important to have those environments and to experience that, and to know that that there is such a richness found in a shared life of investment with others and. And there's a real joy in that. So it's not this burdensome, guilt-ridden, oh, gosh, I'm not meeting with people. It's a matter of, no, there's an invitation, and, and it's for your joy, and it's for mm-hmm. others' goodness. I think that's mm-hmm. an important thing, too. I think that's an important spirit that we Absolutely. we invite rather than push. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Can't can't wait to see you here in just a few weeks. Uh, I'm so excited about this conference, and I hope people will listen to this podcast and uh, will be uh, inspired to uh, come and hear more. Um, super excited uh, about this. Do you got one final word, Kent? Um, nothing comes to mind, Will, other than okay. I, I could talk about this with you all for a long time. It'd be fun. Yeah. Um, we're going to get to soon. Yep. Yeah, we're, we're going to. We're excited to come, and so thanks for doing this and um, for inviting us, and we look forward to seeing what God might do. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Kent. Yep. Thank you for joining us today on the Story Form Podcast. For more information about Fellowship Bible Church in Jackson, you can visit us at fellowshipjackson.com. Join us next time as we enter into the story of others together. <laughs>